Welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. I'm Maverick Willett, and I've helped thousands of divorcees and single moms get snatched waist, jaw-dropping booties, and confidence that captivates the attention of men in every room, all without dieting, cutting carbs, giving up wine night, or starving yourself. What's going on, everybody? Hope everybody's having a great New Year so far. I thought it would be a great time to do a podcast episode on all the fad diets. Not literally all of them because there's a shit ton, but I'm going to do the main ones. I'm going to talk about why they're fucking dumb. (laughs) I'm going to talk about the problems with each, like the blaring issues with each fad diet, why they lead to weight rebound, why they are not a good idea, especially for those of you who are parents who have families. They're just not a good move. I'm going to tell you why. That's going to be on the main content of this will be a YouTube video. If you want to watch that there, if you're more of a visual learner, you know, visual person, you want to look at my ugly mug, talk about it. If you're a podcast peep, well, I'm going to give you a little extra, give you a life update, give you a little insight on, you know, other stuff aside from nutrition before I get into that. That's the bonus of the podcast. You get more of the realness, more of the authentic truth that, you know, a lot of you have said you really, relationships are hard. (laughs) You know, I've got a great one, but all relationships are hard work. I mean, not saying it should always feel friction, not saying you should always feel conflicted and always be in conflict, but they're not easy. And usually the most rewarding things in life are a lot of work, right? High value, high work, high effort, high energy. And relationships are no different. I talk a lot about, you know, having uncomfortable conversations and, and being willing to lean into those over and over and over again, produce intimacy, produce honesty, produce, you know, the outcome that we want, which is a free co-creative relationship, right? I highly recommend having some sort of guidance or mentorship. You know, I, I practice what I preach. I own a coaching company and I get coaching myself on the life front, on the personal development front. I highly advocate it. Highly recommend it. A lot of times it just takes that person with wisdom and sometimes just a third party to point out things that maybe we overlook or they hear things in our language. Sometimes a really good friend can do this, a friend that's unbiased, a friend that will not just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear and give it to you straight, you know? And I'm, I'm very lucky to have a friend like that. I can call this guy and, and he'll immediately just, if I'm in my shit, if I'm in my usual pattern or some kind of dysfunctional mind frame, he will call it out right then and there. Hey, man, I'm noticing this in your language. And this is something that you usually do. Probably need to look at it this way. Probably need to view it from someone else's perspective. Here's how, you know, so it's like getting perspective from others who will call you on your shit is so, so valuable, right? I tend to sink back into patterns if I'm not vigilant in staying centered, staying grateful, staying positive, and staying open-hearted. I tend to sink back into patterns that were branded into my brain from youth, you know, or from other relationships, fight or flight, because I needed to defend myself or be hyper-vigilant in protecting myself from potential abandonment or harm. I tend to sink back into those protection mechanisms. You know, if any of you have ever done inter-family systems, IFS work, a lot of it is involved with identifying your protectors, right? Like the things you do in order to protect or soothe or escape or whatever. And we all have these in our brains, like a boardroom of parts, parts that seek to 
again, protect, defend, be hypervigilant. Some of these protectors are, are like integral in our success. You know, like I have certain parts of me that are responsible for the success that I've garnered. The ones that are driven, the ones that are ambitious, the ones that are high energy, and want to serve the world. And a lot of IFS work is recognizing that all your parts serve a purpose and sometimes we can realign their energy. We can give them different jobs than the ones that they've traditionally done that no longer serve us, you know? Like the protector that makes us get really defensive about certain things or the protector that maybe tries to head off conflict, prepare for war or the, you know, the part of us that doomsday forecasts things or creates calamity out of nothing or stresses about things that may or may not happen. All these parts, they're just trying to protect us. But when they drive the bus and they eclipse the centered, integrated parts of us, that's when dysfunction usually rears its head. And that's what the work is about. And the work is never done. I was watching the Arnold documentary the other day with my family and Haley, who is my family, obviously, in Denver. and. There's a part of that documentary where he's acknowledging his age. You know, this is a guy that was Mr. Olympia, Mr. Universe, you know, had the, what many deemed as the perfect body, right? Like the, the exemplar of what is the pinnacle of male fitness, right? And he was like, you know, you get older and you get in your 50s and 60s and one day you look in the mirror and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> that made me laugh so hard, but... My mentor was telling me kind of the same thing. He was, you know, he's in his mid forties and uh, he's like, dude, you are cultivating self-love right now when you're at your physical best, when you're at your most attractive. Imagine, if you will, how that's going to be when you have hair coming out of your ears and growing in places you don't want. And when you're sagging in certain places and when you have wrinkles and crow's feet and you're going to have to cultivate self-love then too when you don't have your physical peak and your attractiveness, you know, perceived attractiveness, that is, at its best. And so the point being, the work is never done. It's just a different beast. And the value of work is that you get better at the work. You get more, you more readily introspect. You change your habits in the way that you interpret and internalize challenge and conflict. You know, that's the value. It's not that you're going to get to this destination where you're like, oh, I've done the work and now everything is solved. You know, you just get better at doing the work. You, you, you practicing makes you better at practicing, <laughs> basically. Kind of like meditation. There's not some euphoric Valhalla you get to from meditating. It's the act of meditating, the behavior of meditating better equips you for life's ebbs and flows, you know? There's no destination. You just keep on doing it every day. And a lot of having a healthy, happy relationship I've come to find thus far in my youth is finding someone willing to do that with you. You know, like I commit to doing the work with you. I commit to cultivating love for myself as I age alongside you and supporting you as you do the same. I choose you now and I choose you then. I choose you in the best of days. I choose you on the worst of days. You know, I think a lot of people call it quits when you get in that one big blow up fight, myself included in the past, one big blowout fight Oh, this isn't going to work. It's taken me time to realize relationships are fucking messy. You know, at some point, your inner child will come out. Usually not in the first three months, usually not in the first six months. 
But within that first year to two year time frame, the inner child will rear its ugly head. Well, not ugly. I, I shouldn't say ugly. It'll rear its head. And continuing. Now, I'm not saying you accept abuse <laughs> or accept where you cross lines of disrespect. There has to be a trend upward in the work that produces better behavior or more healthy behavior within relationship, obviously, but also having grace and compassion when we or partner go into survival mode, when we do the thing that we've been conditioned to do in turmoil. You know, I don't think we should be judged on the things we do in survival mode, especially if we're willing to take accountability, willing to take ownership, and work on it. To me, that's one of the best traits you can have in a relationship is finding someone who has mutual willingness to be extremely responsible for their behavior and then work to change it. And also apologize and heal and come back to relationship in a very healthy way. One thing I can say about my current relationship is we do that. And I give Haley a lot of credit because the way she comes back to relationship is much better than the way I do historically. And sometimes still, it takes me a while sometimes. And the, you know, they did this experiment. I can't remember what it's called. Those of you who have read about it will know, but they did this experiment with a bunch of couples and they found like these markers of success or detriment. And one of them was resent, there was contempt, and there was a third, I can't remember what it was, but the ones... The relationships where resent was present, those were the ones that were doomed to fail the most. And to me, resent is just the result of avoiding truth. When we avoid truth, that's when chaos happens. That's when resent happens. That's when contempt happens. That's when we brush things under the rug and hope they're going to go away or we kick the can down the road, whatever analogy you want to insert here, but we just don't deal with whatever is, right? When we say what is, you know, in a compassionate way as possible, and there's mutual space for that, that's when we can remain in a truthful relationship that functions very healthily. You know, being willing to be in our truth, even if it upsets the other person temporarily, not easy, super important. So I encourage all of you to remain in your truth, whatever that is, whatever your truth is. And there can be multiple truths existing at once. There can be more than one truth. Remember that too. There can be a truth like, hey, I am fucking annoyed with you right now. And I want you in my life because I love you. Hey, I need some alone time right now because I am at my threshold for you, the kids, work, everything. And I love having you as my partner. And I love a hell of a lot about you. And I don't want a life without you. Truths like that. Sometimes we stay away from our truth because we don't want to hurt the other person or more spare feelings. And that's all people pleaser mentality. People pleasing is a zero sum game. So remain in your truth, y'all. Whatever that thing is where you feel that visceral feeling in your body of that thing you're avoiding, don't swipe that credit card. You got to pay off that balance eventually. Every time you avoid an uncomfortable conversation, you're putting a brick in between you and don't wait until there's so many bricks in between you, you can't even see each other anymore. Remain in truth. Call it out. What is it? What's going on? What's true for you? That's all I got for today. We're going to jump into the episode now. Bad diets. Bad diets exposed. Today, I'm going to talk about 
the worst fad diets in the industry. It's your boy, ESV, and I'm always here to give it to you straight. No filter, no bullshit. Fad diets don't work. A lot of people say they work when they say, it worked, I lost 20 pounds. Did it really? Why aren't you still doing it? Why aren't you still doing the thing that supposedly worked? We're going to talk about why you're not still doing that thing. We're going to talk about the biggest fad diets and why they're damaging, my biggest issue with them. I'm always evidence-based. Everything I say has studies behind it. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it because people call you out for that shit. However, I will say those who don't value data won't be swayed by it. What I mean by that is a lot of times these people that ask for proof, those same people, when I show them studies, still object and refute what I'm trying to say. And so I just don't post studies anymore because hardly anyone gives a shit. But that being said, just so you know, everything I say is based on an abundance of research, readily available on PubMed. Before I ever make a claim, I go check to make sure it's backed by data. That's my responsibility. I don't just say shit like most influencers in order to prey on your fears and make money. I want you to make the best decisions possible for you, your body, and your family. Let's get into it. Let's expose the first secret about diets. They all do the same thing. They put you in a caloric deficit. What's a caloric deficit? Well, a caloric deficit simply means you're consuming less energy than you are expending. Well, what does that mean? We expend energy in a few different ways. The energy we use to fuel our bodily functions, your BMR. The energy we use to accomplish our day-to-day tasks, working, thinking, beating your husband, fornicating, walking around, propelling your body forward, caring for the kids, whatever it is, non-exercise activity is where all that falls. The energy used to digest food, otherwise known as the thermic effect of food, and the energy we use to exercise. That's the smallest slice of the pie. So if the energy that we expend doing all these things is more than the energy we're consuming via caloric consumption, eating, And if we do that consistently on average over the course of weeks, over the course of months, then we get consistent weight loss, period. End of story. That is how you lose weight. Think of it like this. When you expend energy, you dig a hole. When you eat, you fill that hole with dirt. If you only fill the hole halfway up, that's a deficit. If you fill it with so much dirt that it overflows, that's a surplus. If your goal is weight loss, you have to consistently fill a 10-foot hole with less than 10 feet of dirt. You don't have to do that every single day. You just have to average less than 10 feet of dirt. Over time, we have what's called metabolic adaptation. It's where your body naturally expends less energy as a result of consuming less energy. It's perfectly normal the healthy part of weight loss. This is where your 10-foot hole becomes a 9-foot hole. Now you have to fill the hole with less than 9 feet of dirt in order to lose weight. Now, imagine, if you will, filling the dirt while blindfolded. Now you can't see how much dirt you're filling the hole with. How the fuck are you going to ensure and guarantee you're filling that hole with less than 10 feet of dirt if you can't see how much dirt you're putting in the hole. Calorie tracking is the only way to ensure you're filling the hole with the appropriate amount of dirt. But since calorie tracking has this overcomplicated stigma associated with it, 
people would rather keep the blindfold on and just shovel half the time. This is fasting. Or they'd rather cut off their arm and sacrifice a limb so they're only able to shovel half the amount they could prior to cutting off a limb because they fatigue much faster with one arm. That's keto. Every diet gets to the same destination, a caloric deficit. You keep that blindfold on so you don't have to look at your dirt, but the cost is never knowing how to budget your dirt. There are people all around you who have taken the time to see how much dirt they're shoveling in the hole and consistently averaging eight to nine feet of dirt in their holes, and they're burning fat consistently as a result. But rather than do that, you'd rather just keep that blindfold on, hope for the best. Boy, I can paint a picture, huh? I'm like the Bob Ross of analogies. Analogies aside, let's break down how each diet keeps that blindfold on in order to half-ass that hole. Keto, my personal favorite. This dumpster fire of a dietary approach was invented for epileptic children. Wow, already sounds super applicable to a busy parent. What could possibly go wrong here? Keto is short for ketosis. Ketosis, or lipid peroxidation, is basically where your body uses fat for fuel instead of carbohydrates because you've removed carbohydrates from the equation. There's no more glucose to be found in your body. I want to be very clear, or you're not. There is no lazy keto. There's no, oh, I only do keto some of the time. First of all, it takes a few days to get into ketosis, and you're very easily pulled out of ketosis if you consume too much glucose or even protein. I didn't even know that. So these people who claim to be on lazy keto, if you're not in ketosis, you're just low calorie. Because again, the ketogenic diet is designed to put you in ketosis, lipid peroxidation. By the way, that's a stress response because you've deprived your body of glucose, right? Glucose is needed, by the way, to convert inactive thyroid hormone T4 to active thyroid hormone T3 in the liver. Without glucose, you convert less active thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone is a big part of basal metabolic rate. It helps you burn more calories at rest. So you're already cutting off fuel for thyroid hormone conversion in the pursuit of satisfying this poop detector, the scale. Another problem I have with keto, you ever try to, you ever try to just be creative or accomplish the, the mental, creative, imaginative tasks you may need at work, if you're a writer, if you do a lot of creative work with the internet, or just in general, if you're a manager, your cognition will take a hit if you cut out glucose. Glucose is needed for brain function, okay? Carbohydrates are protein sparing, meaning when you're in a deficit, your body will use carbohydrates as fuel before it uses protein. You need protein to maintain your muscle tissue in a caloric deficit. If you lose muscle tissue, you now have lost the thing that's providing shape to your body, and you're going to burn less calories at rest, meaning you're going to have to perpetually diet harder and harder. As you lose muscle, metabolic adaptation happens much faster. So you're going to have to eat like a baby rabbit eventually in order to lose weight. And then you have such, you, you're, you're consuming so little nutrients and so little calories that you can barely function. You can, you're not going to have a productive workout without fuel. Going back to thyroid, is it any wonder why so many women who have tried keto also have hypothyroidism? I'm just saying. One of my biggest issues with keto is that you're not developing any actual awareness for how many calories you took away to start with. Because most people jump on keto because they don't want to track calories. But what happens is when you cut carbs, you've cut on average anywhere from 600 to 1,000 calories. Well, when your weight loss plateaus, 
what do you do? Where are you going to go? You can't reintroduce calories if you don't know how many you cut to begin with. And this is where we see the big weight rebounds on keto. Basically, though, the reason why people lose weight on keto is because you cut carbohydrates, aka you cut calories, aka you're eating less, and this leads to the weight loss. It's nothing special. There's no insulin magic happening. But cutting carbs makes you eat less. When you eat less, you lose weight. When you're eating only fat and protein, it's, it makes it hard to consume a lot of hyperpalatable foods because the fat satiates you. The protein is also very filling. So people are less likely to overindulge. And that's another reason why people typically lose weight doing the ketogenic diet. Okay, but let's go back to the dirt digging analogy. You got the blindfold on. You've decreased your calories by 500 to 1,000 roughly. But you don't know that because you chose a diet and keep the blindfold on. What happens when that hole shrinks to five feet and you're still filling it with six feet of dirt? Six feet of dirt was six feet of dirt sufficed when you had a 10 foot hole, but now that hole has shrunk to five and six feet is a surplus. Your weight loss stalls. You have no idea what to do because you just tiptoed around calorie tracking. Then people are like, oh, well, clearly I've been dieting too long. Time to reset. Can't reset your metabolism, by the way. Not a thing. So you reintroduce carbs. Your insulin sensitivity is fucked now because you've deprived the body of glucose for an extended period of time. Your liver and pancreas are all confused. Horrific weight rebound. That's what people who are down those first 20 magical pounds but don't realize the hole has shrunk yet don't know. But it's coming. And again, lipid peroxidation, it's a stress response. Just because you can survive without carbs doesn't mean it's a great way to structure your eating. There's much healthier, sustainable ways. And there is no unique or magic benefit to keto that you don't get from a caloric deficit in general. Plant-based. This one fucking kills me. Stop watching Game Changers. Don't make knee-jerk decisions with your nutrition based on an agenda-driven documentary on Netflix that misrepresents all the data it's trying to push based on that agenda. Almost everyone involved in that film has a vested interest in a plant-based supplement company. So of course, they're going to try to push you to plant-based eating. But here's what the data actually says. When we correct for calories, there's a lot of studies in this film that are like, oh, meat causes cancer. When we take meat away, inflammation reduces. Here's the thing. Reduction in inflammatory markers comes from weight loss. Increase in inflammatory markers comes from chronic weight gain. Eat less calories. Inflammation comes down due to the weight loss from eating less calories. People who were eating fatty cuts of meat were just simply eating more calories than when they switched over to a plant-based diet. It's not switching the foods in and of itself that reduced inflammation and risk of cancer. It's eating less food overall. Eating less calories led to weight loss and therefore a reduction in inflammatory markers. Take any study in that film, correct for calories. You'll see it wasn't the meat. It was the calorie-dense fat in the fattier cuts of meat. If they eat leaner cuts of meat with less overall calories, the same benefits would be observed. Again, all these studies that people cherry-pick in order to push their agenda don't correct for calories. Inflammation does not come from meat or dairy or really any one thing as far as foods go. Inflammatory markers increase with chronic weight gain and they decrease with weight loss. If you eat a lot of plant-based foods, which are high in fiber, you're generally going to eat less calorie-dense, hyperpalatable foods. And you'll feel fuller most of the time. So 
Generally, you'll consume less calories. Consuming less calories equals calorie deficit. Calorie deficit consistently equals weight loss. My biggest issue with both plant-based and keto is this. Body transformation hinges in large part not only on fat loss, but muscle tissue development and maintenance. Plant-based food sources are deficient in several essential amino acids like isoleucine. Those are needed for muscle maintenance and development. If you lose muscle while attempting to lose weight, that hole we talked about in the beginning shrinks a lot faster because muscle helps you burn more calories at rest, meaning outside of exercise. Protein helps you burn more calories digesting food due to it having the highest thermic effect of food. It's hard as fuck to get enough protein with a plant-based diet. Not impossible, it's really fucking hard. If you're a busy parent, or if you're just a busy person in general, life's already hard. The less muscle tissue you have, the more predisposed you are to osteoporosis and many other diseases down the stretch when you're 60 plus years old. We're thinking about long-term, not just in the now, right in front of your face. With keto, you can get a lot of protein, but guess what protein can do in excess on a keto diet? Snaps you out of ketosis, thereby eliminating the entire premise of the diet. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't even know that shit until recently. So if that happens, you snap out of ketosis, you're not actually benefiting from ketosis, the whole point of the keto diet. You're just underfueling yourself in the name of satisfying the almighty God that you named the scale. Carnivore. This one is by far the dumbest fucking diet. It's pretty simple. You just pretend you're a velociraptor and only eat meat. First of all, talk about restrictive. Being so extremely restrictive makes it really hard to overconsume calories, especially when you're satiated from so much protein. But knowing that fiber from fruits and veggies is such a large marker of positive health outcomes down the road, and knowing that saturated fat consumption contributes 74% more than overfeeding fructose or glucose, respectively, and knowing that the majority of people who do both keto and carnivore are not under the supervision of a dietary professional and don't even know what saturated fats are, why the fuck would you do this? I love meat, but only eating meat in order to lose weight seemed as logical as cutting off a finger in order to lose weight. And I can't even imagine the bowel movements on this horrendous diet. Ah, fasting. The trendiest of all the trends. Yeah, cut your eating window in half, you're going to eat less. No way around it. But people swear they evolve into some kind of ethereal being from cutting their eating window in half. Yeah, bro, like, fasting is super spiritual. Like, I, I see my inner being and my chi amplifies, my third eye opens whilst being in a fasted state. Or you're hallucinating because your body is literally eating itself after not eating for 72 hours. Or you're hallucinating because your body is eating itself because you haven't had any fuel in the past 72 hours. I can't stress this enough. There is no unique benefit to fasting. The body of research is abundantly clear on this when we correct for calories, that is. Take two identical people. Both are in a 300-calorie deficit. One accomplishes this deficit by eating a normal window. One accomplishes this deficit by fasting. Exact same results in terms of fat loss, exact same autophagy, exact same reduction in inflammation that came as a result of you fasting or not fasting. Here's the truth about fasting. Nobody tracks their fucking calories. So when people cut their eating window in half 
and they lose weight, it's because the reality is that it's the first time they've been in a caloric deficit consistently for the past 20 years. It's not a spiritual revelation. It's not your body detoxing due to damaged cells. It's not your body detoxing damaged cells due to the fasting. It's you're finally eating less food consistently for the first time in years. 50% of people on average underreport calories when tracking. 50% of people on average underreport consumption of calories when tracking. So when, even when people attempt to track, they do so inaccurately. So generally, even when people attempt to track, they do so inaccurately by eyeballing or using cups or not using a food scale or guesstimating skills you haven't been taught. These are the same people that cry, I tried calorie tracking and it doesn't work. No, Deborah, you half-assed it. And in your defense, a lot of that is because they didn't teach you this skill as a child. You're left to learn it from your bright screen device three inches from your face that has all the information in the world on it at 3 a.m. My biggest issue with fasting is that our populace is already under-consuming protein chronically and under-strength training. Without protein consumption and strength training, good fucking luck transforming your body. If you already struggle with getting over 100 grams of protein in a normal eating window, good luck consuming 100 grams of protein plus with a eating window that's cut in half. And good luck making progress in the gym when you're perpetually underfueling. Think about scheduling your workout when fasting. You either do it with no fuel in you, you do it in the middle of your eating window and then somehow consume enough calories to survive with what's left, or you do it at the end of your eating window and then can't eat anything after to refuel from your workout. It's fucking absurd. Paleo and Whole30. Yeah, I mean, you cut out all processed foods. You're generally going to consume less calories. You starting to see a theme here? Every diet makes you eat less. You can do that without dieting. First of all, processed food isn't bad. Hear me out. We just tend to overconsume processed food because it's delicious and it's not very filling. But it's not bad. What happens when, I mean, tell me, what happens when you're sick of eating from this arbitrary menu of food? Or what happens when you eat the bad food like a normal fucking person? Do you feel bad? Ashamed? Ashamed? Do you punish yourself then by over-exercising or purging maybe? You see, labeling foods never healthy. Food is food. Some food is more nutrient-dense. Some food is more delicious. All foods have a place in our personal template based on our goals. Diets have no place in a lifestyle that we're trying to cultivate. Do you want your kids to be sedentary and overweight? No. Well, they do what they observe. Do you want your kids to diet? No. Well, they do what they observe. Paleo, Whole30, Nutrisystem. These are all fancy names for we're treat. <laughs> we are tricking you into eating in a caloric deficit, and that caloric deficit will lead to you losing weight. All of these diets work because of the same thing, a caloric deficit. So a lot of people will say this umbrella statement of do whatever works for you. I disagree with that. Here's why. If you lack good information and education on nutrition, you don't actually know what's best for you. You're left with throwing darts with your eyes closed. Trial and error, 
guesswork. And some of these options can cause damage to your health because of the deficiencies they create in nutrients and lack of awareness if caloric intake is left unchecked. If someone's consuming food from, let's say, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., and in that window, they're consuming 2,000 calories and, and their maintenance is 1,800. Well, if when they cut that eating window in half, they're now consuming 600 calories, they've gone from consuming 2,000 calories on average to 600 to 800, less than my toddler. That's the danger of fasting. Yeah, you'll lose weight and you'll lose muscle and you'll get severely unhealthy if left unchecked with that type of eating. A busy mother postpartum has no business fasting for 18 hours or cutting carbs and sugar completely. It's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And if it's not repeatable, you shouldn't do it. I say do what works for the majority of people long-term. When we look at adherence to diets, 95% of people who do diets regain all their weight back in a one to three-year time period. I don't like those odds. So I'm going to advocate what works for the majority. And what works tends to be prioritizing protein and nutrient-dense foods, indulging in moderation when you want, like a normal person, shooting for a calorie range, and becoming aware of your step count, your general activity level, so that you can tweak and adjust in accordance with your goals. And including all foods and amounts that are congruent with your goals leads to more balance than jumping to extremes like keto or fasting. Blueprints or meal plans only work as long as you abide by their dumbass rules. And rules around eating box you in and don't allow for the reality of life smacking you in the face as it tends to do. Going out to eat with friends. Can't do that if you're fasting. It's outside of your eating window. The work dinner. Oh, I've developed no tools with intuitive intuitive eating. I don't know what each of these foods contains macronutrient-wise. I'm just not going to eat. The barbecue at Uncle Jack's. Yeah, sorry, I'm doing lazy keto and I actually don't know what the fuck that means. So I'm just gonna go over here and eat this, the, the, the fat that came off the ribs and just get spoonfuls of cheese from the cheese dip. It keeps you from doing normal life activities. People are so quick to criticize fitness influencers, eating out of Tupperware, weighing their chicken breasts, labeling that obsessive or unhealthy, but then turn around and cut sugar and carbs completely then fall off the wagon every four days or spend $400 a month on Octavia or God knows how much on the HCG diet where you're eating less than my three-year-old toddler. Knowing that a calorie deficit is the sole requirement for weight loss and knowing that that deficit can be achieved in a variety of different ways, why not pick the most likely to be repeatable? Because there is no, I'll just do keto until I lose the weight and then go back to eating normal. You're going to gain all that weight back. Because remember, the blindfold, how many calories do you reintroduce when you don't know how many calories you cut in the first place? So many of you are wondering, probably, so many of you are probably wondering right now, okay, smart guy, how do I do this then? Well, lucky for you, I put out a ton of free content on how to lose weight and keep it off forever. You can find that on my free podcast, The Revenge Body Podcast, on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. I also have a free Facebook group where I give a ton of tips. I go live and personally ask questions week to week. All that being said, if you want to streamline your success, cut the guesswork, I have the Revenge Body Program where you get the best body transformation coaching in the world from women like you 
so you can finally see the changes you want to see in your body without all the bullshit or never have and never have to spend a dime or another second of your time wasted on shit that doesn't work. I'm ESV. I hope you enjoyed. Until next time. If you liked what you heard on this episode, ladies, share it with your friends. And if you want to finally escape dieting culture and get body results that make your ex wish he never mistreated you, check out the link for the Revenge Body Metabolic Revamp. You can find that in the show notes. And remember, ladies, you are powerful.